0: The Way Out Podcast, episode 283. What is your name? Serge Pringle. Serge, what initially piqued your interest in the process of changing counterproductive
1: behaviors? I'm a therapist, so um, I chose it as my professional activity because I was interested in it both personally and in terms of helping others. And so it's a great curiosity about how we have, all of us, uh, ways in which we get in our own way and how we get out of our own way.
0: I love the way you just phrased that because I often relate my difficulties in the context of getting in my own way. Mm -hmm. And the longer I am in recovery, the more experience I have with how it feels when I'm getting in my own way.
1: Right, right.
0: And that awareness Uh has been so helpful to me as I continue to peel back the layers of the onion in my growth process.
1: Yeah, yeah, very nicely said. That It's not that you stop being in your own way, but you're able to notice it. And as you notice it, to shift.
0: Indeed. Serge, how long have you been working in this area of specialty?
1: about uh maybe now about 30 years.
0: Wow. That's great.
1: Yeah, yeah. How do you believe
0: what you do including the book that we're going to be talking about in more depth the proactive 12 steps a mindful program for lasting change. How do you believe that serves the recovery community specifically?
1: Um My sense of it, in terms of what I wanted to do and in terms of the feedback I get is that it helps people go deeper into understanding what it is that allows them to get out of their own way and specifically um, to give them more of a sense of what the process is so that they can help the process often those of
0: us who are in recovery and are practitioners of the 12 steps are familiar with a passage in the original text of alcoholics anonymous called how it works and this book that you wrote Serge, is very much why it works
1: yeah 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 And so it's why I think of it as proactive, because if you think of it as something that happens to you in some way, um, you are a little bit passive about it, but this is about not exercising control where you don't have control, but finding where you have control so that you can actually help the process of healing. When we
0: work the steps as they're organized in the proactive 12 steps, how do we define success? What does it mean to be successful in the context of the proactive 12 steps?
1: Wow. I love that question. It's very important and powerful and deep question so one way of course is in the externals in terms of um, noticing behaviors in terms of noticing uh, feedback that others have vis-a-vis you but the biggest thing is that what the proactive 12 steps are about is helping you develop step by step more of a sense of an inner GPS um, that helps you get a visceral sense of where you are in the world, what your reactivity is, how you can change that. And so there is a difference in the quality of how you experience yourself, how you relate to yourself. Uh, And you're not just you know, doing things, going through the motions, doing behaviors, uh, following steps that somebody else has marked. But actually, moment by moment, you notice a transformation. And that's what helps you actually stay with the program is because you notice how you are changing.
0: It brings about a new awareness. And that new awareness allows us to act differently in situations where we used to react. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're fundamentally changing how we respond to other people's actions and situations that we find ourselves in What we get back is fundamentally different. Yeah. Yeah. And we're allowing ourselves the opportunity to be fully aware and engaged with how we interact with ourselves and. people places and things that make up our life as we know it
1: yeah yeah very much so very much so that's very profound that um you know we we're all of us human beings we get stuck in patterns and especially when there are situations are difficult stressful traumatic you know and so we have coping mechanisms that we get stuck in And because the situations are so difficult, there's a weight of fear and pressure that in a way keeps us in that groove. And so this is about finding a way to develop, you know, seeing beyond these patterns, noticing different ways, and instead of being knee-jerk reactive, being able to actually be fully who we are in responding to the situation as in a way that's gonna work better.
0: We react because as you talk about in your book, we're programmed to do so from a survival instinct, Mm -hmm. perspective, and there are things that drive us to react that way fear being a big component of that often. And those seemingly overwhelming emotions drive us to a coping mechanism that provides relief. Right. And that relief then, however temporary it might be, becomes our go-to mechanism when we're feeling uncomfortable, overwhelmed, because often we lack any other tool or any other skill to effectively deal with that. And so many of us are so familiar with I like how this felt in the moment. I didn't plan on this being a bad habit. (laughs) I didn't intentionally set out to say that every time I feel uncomfortable, overwhelmed, or paralyzed by some sort of emotional difficulty, I'm gonna eat a bag of chips. That's not something I consciously decided I wanted to do. I ended up doing it because I lacked any other tool in the toolbox. And now I'm in a situation where it's become a habit and I need to try to change that habit. Yeah. And this book does such a great job of demystifying and unraveling the process in which we can do that and getting to the underlying causes and conditions so that we can then start the practice that you highlight that word in this book a lot too, which I love, the practice, because we're not good at it at the beginning, of changing our behavior so that it matches what we want to do because I don't want to eat the whole bag of chips. I just end up doing it because I don't have any other skills, or tools.
1: Yeah. 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 And so in that, it's very much the spirit of the 12 steps, but making it more apparent, more visible, because what the 12 steps are about, the original 12 steps is not to say, you know, every step is not don't drink or don't take drugs or don't do whatever, but it's actually the program is to help you change your life so that as you change your life, um, you have much less of a need for these coping mechanisms. Um, And I think the concept of the proactive 12 steps is to show you how to do it, really being focused on paying attention to what you do, you know, is a coping mechanism. It's not a bad behavior because you're, you're a bad person. You have defects of character but it's really something that's the best solution you could find given the circumstances. And so, uh, as you have a systematic program where you develop your ability to um, sustain, you know, the pressure of being in an uncomfortable moment, then you kind of begin to practice different ways of responding, and then you grow.
0: And growth is the whole game. Yeah. The yeah. whole game. What I love about the proactive 12 steps is it says the quiet part of the original 12 steps out loud.
1: That's a very nice way to put it. I like the way you describe it.
0: Welcome, Way Out Faithful and First Timers, to this week's installment of the Way Out Podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out Podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's all AllRecoveryRings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to DailyAAEmails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on recovery coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on recovery coaching. Finally, a word of caution, This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, we have a tremendously insightful and beneficial interview with therapist and accomplished author of numerous books, including The Proactive 12 Steps, a mindful program for lasting change, Serge Pringle. At the center of the work in serge's new book is two fundamental truths the first is that in recovery indeed fundamentally as humans we will encounter counterproductive thought and behavior patterns that will interfere with our ability to experience moments of peace and happiness and a life that is marked with joy and serenity to the exact extent in proportion to the severity of our existing maladaptive coping mechanisms. The second, and perhaps more important, is that the 12 steps can truly be a design for living when we apply them to our lives in a proactive fashion, resulting in concrete and enduring behavior change, a formula that we can use to address any counterproductive thought or behavior pattern that is causing the universally human experience of suffering and getting in the way of our ability to enjoy life. In short, we have the opportunity, as people in recovery, to stop getting in our own way and mindfully and actively choose to pause, and if so inclined, invite in our higher power and then respond or not respond to events and circumstances in our lives in an increasingly healthy way that is consistent with the people we ultimately aim to be, instead of reacting with our default programming. Serge's message is one I wholeheartedly agree with, which is if we choose to embark on this journey of the proactive 12 steps, it is both a process and a practice, and we shouldn't expect to instantly eliminate all our undesirable thought and behavior patterns and replace them with ideal responses overnight. This work is what enduring and rewarding recovery is all about. Indeed, this work generates the personal growth that results in what is often referred to as emotional sobriety. And the discussion that's about to unfold before your very ears will illustrate precisely how we achieve this seemingly elusive, enlightened state of consciousness. So listen up. Serge Pringle. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us here on the Way Out podcast. I can't wait to dig much more into the book that you wrote. You are a therapist, and you are indeed the author of The Proactive 12 Steps, a mindful program for lasting change. Before we dig into this tremendous piece of work, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get started.
1: Well, thanks, Charles. First, I'm very happy to be with you and connect with your people. And uh, I'm a therapist. Uh, as all therapists, I'm doing what I do because I am interested in figuring out my own roadblocks in my life. Um, I'm interested in sharing this with other people and i find it very satisfying to actually also help people help themselves not just uh, go through therapy but i like the idea of uh, the 12 steps as something that allows uh, peer support and people helping each other going deeper So I have long been very interested in the process of the 12 steps, and I've had a long dialogue with it over the years. So this book is actually the sixth edition of the book, and they have changed over time. The steps are not, you know, as I've defined them, are not the same now as they were several years ago, because actually I have brought to them the result of my own journey, the result of my dialogue with the various people who follow them, and the progress of uh, therapy in terms of uh, trauma-informed therapy, neuroscience, and all the ways in which we better understand how the human mind works these days.
0: How did you originally get acquainted with the 12 steps, and what was it about the 12 steps that piqued your interest as potentially a model that could be helpful, not just to addicts and alcoholics and codependents, which was the foundation of the community that benefited from the 12 steps. What about the 12 steps made you think that this could be universally applicable?
1: So um, I had friends who were, in various programs. And I had tremendous respect for them and, um, and for what they were able to, uh, to accomplish in their struggles with the help of the programs they were in. So I got interested in the programs and I found really, I have a lot of admiration for uh, the structure that allows people to help each other to have a sense of um, being, you know, together in the same boat and to lift each other's spirits, you know, in the face of something that is really daunting. By definition, addiction is something that is so compelling, so compulsive that it's very hard to change it. And so uh, that notion of how it is that you can both you know, see how uh, incredibly powerful addiction is and and powerless you are. But at the same time, finding power in the midst of that lack of power uh, is something that I've been very interested in. I've had a very long dialogue with. And what I've been wanting to do is to find words that distill this process that help make it more clear than it is um, uh, in, in the 12 steps.
0: Often, those of us who are members of 12-step programs and fellowships joke, but also with a fair bit of sincerity that everybody should work the 12 steps because it's not really about the substance or the addictive behavior. That's only the first step, and you do a great job of highlighting that fact in the proactive 12 steps, that it's much more a design for living. Mm -hmm. And we begin to create a life where our substance of choice or our addictive behavior is no longer necessary for us. In order to live a happy, joyous, and free life. In fact, the removal of that substance, although essential for recovery, is merely a beginning for us as we progress along the journey that is the 12 Steps. And I remember very specifically listening to, so I remember very specifically while reading the original text of the big book, which is written in very 1930s style language. Also listening to the famous Joe and Charlie tapes. And, I truly believe that it took Bill and Bob to write the big book, but it took Joe and Charlie to explain it. And that's the way it was for me. And they just kept saying over and over as they were demystifying the 12 steps, just run the experiment. Don't judge the process. Just run the experiment. And if you don't like the results, you can have your misery back. You can <laughs> will fully refund your misery. And so I did. And I did these steps to the best of my ability, not truly understanding them as I was doing them. I I, I didn't understand them. But I didn't have to understand them for them to work. But what I love about the proactive 12 steps is it does turn the lights on and illuminate the how this thing works and the why this thing works in a very down-to-earth and understandable way so that I can get my head around the reason why this would work for me. And although I was very desperate when I first got sober seven plus years ago, and I was willing to do really whatever it took so that leap of faith was important to me, which I think is why the spirituality piece is so important with the 12 steps because the focus is definitely not on the, the, the how of it and the mechanics. The focus is on, take a leap of faith, do this thing and judge the result. And if you don't like the result, fine, but chances are, you're gonna, chances are you're going to get to the uh, the other side of these 12 steps and your life is going to be a lot better. Right. And you do a really great job of illuminating why this thing works.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think you're touching on something that's very important that, um, When you're in the middle of the misery, um, it's really crucial to have that leap of faith. And for many people, uh, the leap of faith is the belief in something like a God or a higher power that is ultimately benevolent. And that once you surrender to this higher power or this God, then it's out of your hands and you will be saved. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And it works beautifully. Um, The question is what happens when people don't have that degree of faith Mm -hmm. and you cannot force yourself to say, well, you know, um, either I try to force myself to have faith in God or um, 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 I'm doomed. And so it's interesting to examine, what is it that actually gives you faith if you don't have faith, you know? And, and so, um, you know, if you, you think of it, that a lot of the power of the 12 steps is actually having faith in the idea that so many people have worked it and come out, you know, in a good way. And so the faith you have need not be in a god but it's the faith in the process Faith that you know that something that so many people who are suffering have been able to support each other uh, around that thread of a healing process and so i'm really want to encourage people who don't necessarily have faith to shift and see what is it that i can have faith in okay And so, you can have faith in the fact that it has worked for people. And so, also, I think by giving more of a sense of how it is that works, I want to reinforce the sense that you may have faith, but it's not blind faith. Mm. You know, it's faith that makes sense. So, in your moments of doubt and discouragement, you're always gonna have moments of doubt and discouragement, even if you trust in the group, even if you believe in God, you know, life is made of ups and downs and there are moments of hesitation. So it's nice to have a sense of, you know what, it's not just blind faith, but it makes sense because this is how it works. And so, yeah, I'm on a path that's gonna lead me somewhere and I can have a sense of how.
0: One of the things that is so remarkable about what you just illustrated there, Serge, is that the fundamental reason I decided to work the 12 steps in order with a sponsor is because When I went to meetings, I saw people and heard from people that thought like I thought, felt like I felt, did what I did, and they got better. And they told me how they got better. And it was through working these 12 steps in order with a sponsor. So that provided the substance I needed in order to try it myself. If I didn't see this manifesting in amazing ways in other people, other people that had what I wanted, You know, they'd been where I had been and they got through it. And now they've got this unmistakable glow and serenity that had eluded me all my life up until that moment. And I wanted that. That's an important piece in having some faith that millions of people have benefited from the 12 steps gives us enough reason to give it a try and i and that's where i feel like the just run the experiment comes in you don't have to judge the process necessarily or micromanage the process we just run the experiment and see what happens and notice what happens as we're moving through these
1: steps yeah 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 very much so, very much so. one
0: of the things that i think is really instructive as a concept and it's embodied in in your work is embodied in the saying that I can't think my way into right living. I have to act my way into right thinking and just starting to make some changes in how I respond to situations which give me trouble, that's a different action. That's a different state of mind. And it's, a, and it's a very tangible thing, as you talk about in your book, just the seemingly simple act of noticing how I feel When an uncomfortable situation arises.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just
0: being mindful about how my body feels. And. What it feels like to be afraid. Yeah. Especially those of us who are. Recovering. From an addiction. Very disconnected from our bodies and our emotions.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: so we don't often and this was absolutely my experience I didn't even know what it felt like to be afraid I didn't really know what it felt like to be any myriad of emotions and sobriety gave me the opportunity to sit in those emotions and name it so that I could then go about the process of understanding where that came from. If I don't know what I'm feeling, how am I going to go about the process of then understanding what's triggering that feeling? And then being able to just sit with it just long enough for it to to dissipate a little bit Mm. and you go into some pretty considerable length going through that process right of sitting with the the feeling and the emotion in that period of discomfort um, that can seem to be overwhelming.
1: you you really Charles, I really uh, I really commend you. You did a beautiful description of what is at the heart of this process of proactive and mindful recovery. Um, You know, uh, it's not, of course, you know, you need to make changes, you know, it's in the behavior, but the mistake that people made where you can keep banging your head against the wall time and time again, is if you think of it as just behavior and not paying attention to what it feels like inside. And the uh, not only does it not work, but it's actually re-traumatizing and it puts you back into the heart of the misery that probably was central to the addiction that you don't count. You know, uh, essentially, if what you do is simply try to change your behavior and push yourself to it essentially what you're telling yourself is you don't count all that counts in you is to have somebody for instance who doesn't drink or doesn't take drugs or doesn't do whatever it is that's forbidden but you know essentially uh, what's inside does not count and uh you know what reason do you have to live for if your life is made of only that you don't count and it's only what you do that counts Um, And so basically, it contributes to erasing yourself, to belittling yourself. And then, you know, the cycle of addiction comes back because then it's so unbearable. And then you find relief in doing whatever your addiction is. And you come back to it and you're cycling into a trap. You know, it never ends. And the idea that changing your life is that what is proactive about it is also mindful which is that pay attention to the inner experience. And the uh, dirty secret in it is that the, the paying attention to the inner experience is painful and scary. And that's why you've been trying to avoid it. But, you know, then you develop the tools to actually stay present with it, and you, as you described. And then suddenly, you know, allowing yourself the chance to discover that you can survive these really difficult and scary moments and then you can do something different and then things open up
0: and it's a practice it's a practice we're not good at it at the beginning yeah first time we try it when we're confronted with a seemingly overwhelming emotion or potentially mix of emotions we're going to want to react we're going to desperately want to react and respond and get relief yeah so maybe we hold on for a little bit and then bail out and get relief but that little bit of holding on that little bit that just tiny bit like maybe i i maybe it was 10 minutes i sat in it maybe it was five maybe it was 30 seconds and maybe that 30 seconds felt like an eternity (laughs) Yeah. but i'm trying it out i'm practicing it without the need as you so eloquently stated to criticize ourselves and to get the hammer out and beat ourselves up because we ultimately went back to what our brains tell us worked, which is the relief, the the safety valve. The... Reality is that whatever is getting in our way, whether that be a substance, an addiction to that substance, whether that be some other counterproductive behavior, you list a lot of them in the book, which are great anger. Laziness, not wanting to get out of bed, whatever it is, whatever counterproductive habit that is blocking us from being who we want to be. Mm-hmm. We can't just focus just on the behavior, as you stated. I think about it, and you do a great job of analogies in this book, which is great. I love the cord tangling. You know, if I just thought it, you know, it's not going to make it worse. <laughs> And I've been pulling on that tangled cord for many years prior to recovery, just pulling real hard. And then why is it not? And I still, by the way, do that with real tangled cords. Like, so <laughs> that was great, Surge, just in general. Cause my first mm-hmm. reaction with a tangled cord is just to pull. And that's my first reaction when it comes to trying to solve a behavior, still is just stop Mm, willpower we know that willpower doesn't work why because willpower is like a muscle it gets fatigued it works for a little bit and then it doesn't anymore it gets tired and ultimately fails just like a muscle can only hold on so long before it fails so willpower is not the answer and I relate it to a wild tree that sprouts in my front yard. Mm. I can cut it off at the base and it grows back. I can cut it off at the base and it grows back. I can cut it off at the base and it grows back. But until I get at the root of it and really unroot that, Wild tree, that volunteer tree, as a farmer would call it, it's going to keep growing back.
1: Right, right, right. So we
0: have to get down to the root of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And getting to the root of it is a process that I think is empowering. And the way you lay out the proactive 12 steps is empowering in that it gives us tools to be able to get at the root of what's driving that behavior and then go about practicing how we change that. So maybe talk a little bit about that. How do we get to causes and conditions around what's driving us to eat a whole bag of potato chips or what's driving us to become rageful on the road when somebody cuts us off or what drives us to obsess about money, whatever whatever our thing is, whatever's getting in our way. How do we get down to causes and conditions?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, again, here there is a similarity the, the, of the, the spirit. It's what I did is um, follow the spirit of the original 12 steps. But, you know, literally I kind of veered away from them. And, you know, the spirit of the original 12 steps is the same way as you don't obsess about, say, not drinking or not taking drugs or not doing the behavior, you kind of broaden the question, you change your life. So in the same way, uh, the quest for, uh, you know, how do I stop, say, being rageful when somebody cuts me off or whatever, is not to obsess about the question, but is actually to look at the broader circumstances of your life and to have a more global understanding of the patterns in your life. And so <clears throat> that is the similarity with the uh, 12 steps. I think that's the, the essential mechanism of what it is. And what I've done in the proactive 12 steps is to make it more clear of how you do this process. And so you're not just say, for instance, doing an inventory to say, what are my bad behaviors? and uh, you know isolated behaviors but you're really kind of curious you have that curiosity of it's not about you being bad it's really about you know what is it what are the patterns in your life you know and the patterns in the sense of if you want what is the uh, trap in which you keep falling what is the uh, the track in which you keep following instead of being able to choose the road And so it's really kind of instead of looking at one bad habit or this or that, you know, it's kind of having the curiosity open to saying, how is it that I keep, you know, in a way following some patterns that are not necessarily what I want to do, but keep happening. And then, um, you know, it's not about, oh, this is bad or this is to be changed by willpower, simply don't do it but you know having developing the curiosity to say if you do that and you're not stupid you know why is it that you keep doing something that's stupid if you're not stupid and the reason of course is that there is something inside that is fear pressure terror uh, you know vulnerability that is unbearable and so this mechanism this coping mechanism is a way to avoid what feels unbearable to you. Now, of course, you know, when I'm saying that uh, it's general because what's unbearable to you, what's, uh, you know, is not necessarily the same as somebody else. You know, the point about this is developing the mindful capacity. And so the, the, um, the steps, you know, outline a process in which you progressively develop that mindful capacity to see the obvious to see what is really painful um, and, and so overwhelming to you that you can't bear to stay there, and you rush to do something you know, to prevent yourself from feeling this. And so little by little, you're able to see it, to notice it, to notice that there might be different ways to do it, and to practice that. You know? And so again, yes, at some point, you can make amends to people, of course. But the point is the amends you're going to be making are going to be meaningful because you have actually figured out how you can avoid doing what was bad. And so it's not so much just about not doing something that's bad, but it's about having changed the structure of your life so that now you have alternatives. And it's not just about not hurting people, but you actually lead a much happier life um, by having figured out what really works for you
0: without question and beautifully said, it occurred to me fairly early on that the 12 Steps are at its core a program that changes my relationship with really four key aspects of my life. The first one is my relationship with my addictive behavior Mm -hmm. or whatever counterproductive behavior we're talking about and getting honest about it. It is affecting my life in a negative way. That's the first thing that the 12 steps does. The second is my relationship with a higher power in the original context and in the proactive 12 steps, a relationship with the dynamic of the behavior and the dynamic of how that behavior manifests in our lives. And the third dynamic that this and relationship that this program changes is my relationship to myself Yeah, And that's that process of, in the original 12 steps, the inventory. But noticing patterns and identifying patterns that are counterproductive. And I very much did that. Wasn't just a list of bad things. I had a great sponsor and I had great peers in the 12-step program that took it beyond just a, hey, list all the really crappy things you did. That's not what I did. What I did was I got down to causes and conditions and patterns. What do I keep doing over and over that's demoralizing to me? In relationships with other people and in relationships with myself, what do I keep doing over and over? And then why? For me, fear was at the root. Fear of not getting something that I wanted or losing something that I already had. And then the fourth dimension of relationship, it changes is with other people. And in the original 12 steps, that's that making amends and amends is an important word. It's not just saying, sorry, it's changing. To amend something is to change something. Right. I'm changing something and what I'm changing is me. And then when I go about the business of making it right with other people based on what's transpired up until this moment, as you relate so well, it means something. Because people see a change in you. They see that you're fundamentally changing how you respond and relate to people. Right? So the... Micro of that is if I take a road rage situation. So that's how it sounds great, right? Okay, so I go and I notice patterns and identify patterns. And then I identify what's driving those patterns. How do I then take that into a very dynamic, present situation, like somebody cuts me off on the road? And what I normally do is I lose my mind. And I... Show them only one finger and I do a lot of things that feel good in the moment that I'm super not proud of after. That's my normal. And then I feel ashamed. And I have that hangover of remorse because I put myself and that other person in even more danger than what was originally caused by getting cut off okay i was afraid when that person almost hit me by cutting me off i was afraid i was really afraid i was afraid of a lot of things i was afraid that i could get hurt i was afraid that it was gonna make me late to work i was afraid that it was gonna damage my vehicle i was afraid that. There might be some sort of altercation. I was afraid of a lot of things, and it was a really deep fear, but it was just for a second. It was just for an instant, that fear. But it was real, and it was present. And my default reaction to that really intense fear is to lash out. That's my default. But if I could just sit in the fear just for a minute and recognize that it's okay to be afraid, that that's a normal reaction when somebody cuts you off, to be afraid. And it's normal to feel angry about it. And allow myself that but not have to respond yet. That I don't have to do anything about it right now. I could just be there for myself. And I can sit with myself. And I know that sounds weird, but sit with myself and say, Charlie, it's okay to be afraid of that. It's okay that that freaked you out. And it's also okay not to have to do anything right now about it.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And then that passes.
0: Might be a couple minutes, might be five minutes. My heart's going crazy. My hands are sweaty. I'm breathing rapidly. I can notice all of that and still not do anything about it, but just sit with myself and be there for myself. And if you're a spiritual person, invite your higher power to be there with you. If you're not, that's okay. Be with yourself.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 That's the so, manifestation of it, right?
1: That's beautiful. I really I love the way you described it. And I would encourage people to uh, replay this time and time again, you know, that description you made, because that's the DNA of the process. And uh, it's, uh, it's a nitty gritty of what happens, what to look for, that in some ways, um, you know, part of why people get discouraged is they feel, okay, I'm doing this, but now I'm experiencing so much discomfort, I must not be doing right, or I must not be made for it. And what you're describing is to say, hey, wait a minute, the more you engage in this process, the more excruciating the pain will be because you're staying there. And you described it in great detail that people can recognize themselves. You give them the nice roadmap. You know, this is what happens. This is what the process of recovery is is going through these moments and essentially finding a way to discover that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it changes, okay? Um, But that's what the process is about.
0: Indeed. And it's not linear and it's a practice. And one time I might be able to sit with all the discomfort and disorientation that is involved in an overwhelming experience. And one day I might not be able to. Mm -hmm. So this recovery process and this growth process. Isn't linear.
1: No, no, it's not.
0: The. Way that you then. Go about. Working through this is really great because although you wrote this in the I context, you very much encourage a collaborative approach when it comes to actually working through the proactive 12 steps. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, first, yes, I wrote it uh, from an I voice. Uh, And there's a deliberate choice. I have tremendous amount of respect for the we and for all kinds of reasons. But the journey of making a change moment by moment is in the moment you're alone. In the moment, you know, this is I. I do this or I do that. I stay I, uh, I stay with my reactive default mode or I stay longer to allow myself in that sense of, you know, that's a moment by moment decision. And I want to really make it in the present as opposed to the past and make it first person singular I because it's about cultivating the habit of being present with yourself moment by moment, you know.
0: As you embark upon the process of describing this process, mm-hmm. you say something that I think is really instructive, which is this is applicable to the human condition. And we all suffer. And I highlight the word suffer from the human condition. We all struggle with things that block us from experiencing serenity, joy, happiness to some extent or another. That's a universal experience. Is the human experience. And to that end, then... Whatever it is that we are struggling with, there's a very practical way embodied in this program, in this process, to be able to get through that struggle. And if you're anything like me, You got more than one thing that you struggle with. And it's very much like, as I related at the top, peeling back the layers of the onion.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, What
0: was addictive behaviors and substances like alcohol, drugs, became nicotine, became porn. So I just continued to be able to apply the same methodology to other things that were getting in my way. And that is the whole deal. It's about growth. It's not about perfection. It's not about at some point that we're going to just be completely free at least not in my experience it is a process of continuing to identify things that are counterproductive and addressing those as they present themselves to us it wasn't and and I tried to do it backwards prior to getting sober you know like uh, the house is on fire but I'm painting the wall there's an order of operations here
1: yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's. Uh, it's very helpful to put things in the perspective of the human condition, because um, essentially, it's uh, eliminating that sense of, you know, addiction is some kind of a fringe experience, and uh, you're a freak. For having that and you're outside of the human race, you know, in some way because you're, you're there and you have to get out of there. And so it, fe- it feeds a sense of isolation and shame. And it's really, in my mind, very helpful to say that as human beings, we all have our share of difficulties, of things that feel overwhelming, of wounds, of undigested stuff that kind of keeps manifesting. And so um, it's to say that these are in some way, you know, you have a, you know, when you're, you have addiction, you have a big red target, you know, pointed somewhere that says this is the problem. And so it might make it more obvious than for other people, but think of it as an entry point, as opposed to something that that is, you know, just puts you aside from the human condition. The entry point is more obvious. And all of us human beings have to deal with the difficulties of, you know, dealing with our baggage, dealing with things that feel overwhelming, dealing with pressure. You know, there's plenty of difficulties in life. Um, and so that and and, and and they keep coming back and the mechanisms keep coming back. So it's not just one final battle and then everything's fine, you know, like live every, happily ever after. It's actually learning to engage with life in a different way so that those battles are more manageable and they're part of life as opposed to being something that keeps you aside from life.
0: Indeed, in giving us the tools to be able to address those in a very intentional, mindful, proactive way instead of defaulting to the temporary relief, which triggers shame because it's counterproductive and it's not who we want to be and it's not how we want to live life and we feel like we've failed and all of those icky feelings, which just feed more into that cycle of counterproductive behaviors. And to stop that cycle we can employ a completely different approach yeah yeah that introduces mindfulness and intentionality Right. Around and so
1: when you that. say that, I want to add that, um, you know, very often when people talk about introducing mindfulness, they take it as a means that, okay, so it means I meditate uh, right. once a day. And so, of course, there's nothing wrong with meditating and it's wonderful, but, you know, it's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, it's about acting in a way that you engage mindfully. And so the that's why I describe, you know, uh, step-by-step ways in which you, you engage mindfully. It's not just you, you lead your life the way you do, and then you meditate on the side, and somehow it's going to all work out. It's a different way of engaging with life. That's
0: great point. And being mindful in an experience really for me means that I am present in it, And I am aware of all of the things that that experience is, how my body feels, what I'm thinking, all of it. Yeah, yeah. Not just letting it happen to me, checking out during that process while it's happening and defaulting to a coping mechanism. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: That's not being that's that that's not a mindful process that is a reactive process that's my that's mindless really right and if i think about that in the context of the road rage mindful is i just got cut off that was really scary it was scary for a lot of reasons a lot of very legitimate reasons my heart is racing my breath is rapid palms are sweaty i feel like i'm in immediate danger and i want to lash out that's mindful because Mm -hmm. i am sitting with myself and acknowledging what's happening in my mind and body
1: right right and what's mindful about it is you're aware of it you're not pretending it's not there But by being aware of it, you also have the option to decide whether to act on it or not or in what way to act. Um, So absolutely. Yes, absolutely.
0: And often, Serge, I find and have found in my own experience more than half the time action on my part isn't required.
1: Right. What
0: used to trigger a nasty gram in an email at work doesn't anymore. And there's a reason for that. If prior to getting into recovery seven plus years ago, if I perceived an email as being combative or accusatory or something of that nature, I would immediately engage in electronic warfare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How dare you? On and on. And it would always make it worse. Always. Never better. (laughs) Never better.
1: Right, 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 right.
0: But today, again, if I get an email, I can sit in that for a minute, understand why that email makes me feel that way. I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling accused, I'm feeling attacked, I'm feeling not supported. And that threatens my standing at work. How my peers look at me and view me. My reputation, my ego, all of those things. And if I can allow myself to, to Mindfully be in that and then say, you know, maybe they were just stating a fact. Maybe they were maybe they were being one way or another. And I can say that's a reflection on them and not me. And I can respond. If necessary or sometimes not respond at all, and often it's not responding at all and just understanding it's okay to feel the way I felt. And, you know, if action is required, it's not right now. It's not right in this minute. And maybe I can address that person in person. What a, hey, that email, you know, that that came across this way to me. And it didn't make me feel good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, you know, and often and I've done that. And often it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't, you know, whatever. Right. And so. Right,
1: right, right, right. So Charles, I think that would be a good place to end as a major uh, you know way to say um, you have described before and we're talking, you know, your own experience, which totally is corresponds to that that process of the proactive 12 steps, of you know how difficult it is to actually stay with the difficult situations. And with the last part that you describe, You describe how even, you know, uh, seven years into recovery and having done a lot of that work, the situation is still very difficult. And so we're not talking about automatically being a different person. It's not a brain transplant. It's not changing your nervous system. But it's actually, you know, that's why I want to, to keep highlighting that what you're signing up for when you go through this process is to have more difficulty in your life but that is a difficulty that is well worth it because it is what allows you to get more out of life. And before that, before the process, uh, you simply did not have the capacity, the bandwidth, the the strength, the emotional strength to stay with it. What the process does is it gives you the strength to stay with it and to reap the benefits of it.
0: It does indeed. And I said earlier that it's an empowering process mm-hmm. because we're gaining skills and tools to be able to have some agency around how we respond rather than react. Absolutely. That's
1: empowering. You bet. That's gaining control where you can. Indeed. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have really, really very much enjoyed how you shared a lot about your process and your growth in ways that really illustrated um, you know what I have written about and what I'm asking you know people to to follow that felt very nice to uh, to actually see you illustrate the process with that hard-earned life experience of yours
0: this has been really great one of the things I want to highlight before we get into our closing questions you do a great job of ensuring that you talk about trauma and talk about how that can be in the mix here. And adverse childhood experiences are a part of that. There's a lot that can go into that. PTSD. And that therapy can be a beneficial process to engage in in parallel. It's how I did it myself in that I engaged in a therapeutic process along with working the 12 steps in parallel. and That really was transformational for me. Yeah. And so I'm appreciative that you took the time to illustrate that uh, throughout your book, that we can engage in a therapeutic process as well as this 12 step process. Are you ready? I am ready. What does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? And for you, what I mean recovery is I mean your growth and change process. How What does that look like from a daily perspective?
1: Yeah. So from a daily perspective, for me, uh, it is to remember to take a pause. Um, And it might seem strange to say that I need to remember to do it. You know, I am a great believer in the pause. I wrote the steps about the pause being at the center of it. But I'm also a human being. And uh, actually, what happens to me is uh, how easily it is for me to forget it or to be pulled into other directions to say, I'll do it later. Uh, And so it is a a very, very uh, active part of my life to keep remembering to do it as opposed to taking it for granted that it will happen by itself because I value it so much.
0: Pause has been instrumental in my own recovery. And those of us who are of the spiritual inclination would invite a higher power in that pause. One saying I heard regarding the pause is so great is that when I fail to pause, it's like being quicker than God.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: And allowing myself that pause is really everything uh, in this process. What book or piece of literature had the biggest impact on you?
1: Uh, so many that it's very hard to <laughs> uh, to to quote at this point um, uh, what comes up for me when you ask the question is a tremendous sense of gratitude mm. for all the people through whom i have learned a lot from what they shared in books and uh in uh, in fiction in nonfiction, uh you know in comic books um you know just that sense of um um i i So maybe it's really so many books in general that I have a deep appreciation for all the people who have shared of their path, you know, either in fiction or nonfiction. And I feel very supported by that. And in some way, my writing a book is wanting to be part of that group of people who are helping other people and helping each other. By sharing.
0: And really, your book is a product of and a culmination in many ways of all that you've read before.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's there.
0: It's and so there. maybe this book is the biggest impact.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe in that sense. In that, in sense. that sense. of this book being a, a testimony to how much there is out there. Indeed. Um, that has been so helpful. Indeed. What would be the
0: single greatest piece of advice you could give somebody as they're embarking upon this journey of the proactive 12 steps?
1: I would I would encourage people to find a buddy or a small group of friends to follow this process together so uh, a lot of people who read this book are people who are in regular 12 steps and follow the regular 12 steps and go to meetings and by all means please do continue to go there and for all the reasons we know um and you can read this book on your own But I think you will get more out of it if you have it as a springboard for a discussion with a friend or a small group of friends. Um, And you can start on your own, but please, at some point, really make an effort to find other people to talk about what comes up for you with them.
0: I love that. For a lot of reasons, not the least of which is... Connection is so important for us. Yeah. And being able to traverse this journey with like-minded individuals that are kindred spirits can be enormously beneficial what is the greatest challenge you've had in your own experience with this process?
1: The challenge for me, um, time and again, has been to confront the reality of the mechanism of fear, vulnerability, pressure there's a big difference between understanding it in abstract and even understanding it in some circumstances. And then suddenly out of left field, you find yourself in some circumstances where you know, um, the default mode is to react and, oh, but this is real, this is different. This is not the same thing. And in a way, it's just kind of get caught in the drama of the moment and losing track that actually By getting caught in that drama, you know, it's actually falling into the trap of overwhelm. And so um, the process for me has been to time and again say, you know, yeah, it feels really a tight spot right now, but, you know, can I come back to it, you know, from the lessons I'd learned before Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, find a way to make more spaciousness around it and to, um, you know, to apply this process here.
0: Mm, Indeed. The heat of the moment is indeed the litmus test of where we are at this moment in our journey. And this works universally, not just in some situations. Right, right. What is your greatest success thus far in working through this process
1: um you know every time i go through a moment where i feel the pull of um oh this is truly overwhelming this is really scary i'm really stuck there and i see it you know the veil lift and I'm coming back to a sense of feeling relatively calm. Mm. Every one of those moments feels like a miracle and the biggest moment, Mm. you know? Um, And so it's not about whether at a given moment something was objectively a bigger victory or not, but, you know, really literally the moment of that shift each of those moments feels like the biggest victory of all because it's, um, it's at that moment. And that moment where, you know, you're on the edge between, you know, you might just not be able to stay present and you actually do. It feels beautiful and super powerful.
0: Without question. And the feeling is unlike any other feeling I've experienced. Yeah. We often talk about forgiveness and resentments in 12-step programs and how important that dynamic is. How do you frame forgiveness and resentments in the context of the proactive
1: 12-steps? So... You know, um, first to say that resentment is natural and forgiveness is not. Mm. If you place yourself from um, an evolutionary perspective related to threat. On the other hand, you know, we didn't just evolve um, to be dealing with threat. We also evolved to be very connected And so from the perspective of being connected, you know, forgiveness is essential and very natural and resentment, you know, goes counter our very deep need to be connected. Mm. So it's very, very important for me to not put it in terms of a virtue, you know, like resentment is bad, forgiveness is good. But to say that there is natural conditions under which, you know, they occur and natural conditions under which you can shift from them and so to be very aware and observing of how under certain circumstances it's very hard to let go of resentment and under certain circumstances it actually feels very right and very beautiful and very self affirming to have forgiveness and once you have that larger perspective you know which you might call a spiritual perspective you know but it's not one that's about denying you know everyday reality or material reality but you notice wow I can shift because it's not about forcing myself to be good. It's about understanding how it fits within that larger picture of who I am and how I relate to other people.
0: I absolutely love all of that and couldn't agree anymore about giving ourselves some compassion around resentment and forgiveness and understanding that it can be an extraordinarily beneficial process but that having resentment doesn't mean we're bad people doesn't mean that you know that there's something wrong with us so that is tremendous last question what song symbolizes recovery to you
1: Mm. Mm. that's a nice question A song that symbolizes recovery. So I'm not, I don't have one that comes to mind, but I have a sense of um, description of the kind of music that would, the kind of song, the kind of lyric, the kind of, uh, and it would be something that would be, um, you know, very moving would have but not moving in just one direction something that would make you you know one moment laugh and the next moment cry and 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 keep coming back you know and uh, and you would feel a sense of anger and outrage and you would feel a sense of expansion and connection but so a sense of you know a piece of music and and uh, a song where you actually feel intensely, um, you know, the possibility of all the gamut of emotions that are human.
0: It almost feels like a symphony.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Would be an appropriate manifestation of what you just talked about.
1: Yeah, probably. (laughs) You know,
0: where there's highs and there's lows and everything in between, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I love that. Serge, this has been tremendous. Thank you for taking (laughs) time out of your busy schedule to join us here on The Way Out
1: Podcast. This has been tremendous. I really enjoyed spending this time with you.
0: Everybody, you can check the show notes, and you're going to get a bunch of great stuff. You're going to get a link on how to get Serge's great book, The Proactive 12 Steps, a mindful program for lasting change. You'll have an opportunity to be able to reach out to Serge if you'd like to do that. We'll have his contact information there as well. We will have his piece of advice. We will have his song genre recommendation. All of that will be in the show notes. So go ahead and check that out right now. And thank you, everybody out there in Way Out podcast land. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word.com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time, and remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.